0: This podcast is brought to you by SCORE Foundation.
1: Hi, my name is George Abraham, and welcome to iWay Conversations. My guest today is Justin Phillips from Bangalore. He's a trainer. Hi, Justin, welcome. Welcome, George. Good morning. So, uh, uh, Justin, you work with uh, Vision Aid and you've been working with them for a little while. Uh, so, tell us a little bit about what Vision Aid does.
2: Yeah, Vision Aid is another NGO in our country. And yeah. They are focused on education, employment, and empowering the blind in our country so as part of that i teach spoken english and i also teach braille braille so, is a dying art but we are trying to revive it
1: so uh, what are the various uh, programs that vision aid actually delivers
2: yeah vision aid is most famous for its python program and its digital accessibility training everybody must have heard about DQ University, yeah. providing a certificate course in accessibility. Yeah. So Vision 8 combines that course along with classroom training. So students do the DQ course and simultaneously receive help from our
1: trainers. When you teach people who can't see uh, from
2: the distance
1: mode or from on a, on, a, on a computer, Uh, what are the kind of challenges you have actually faced? Because uh, most of us are comfortable with face-to-face kind of engagements.
2: Yeah, so teaching online is a challenge in itself. Network issue is the most important one. Either they can't hear us or there is static. Sometimes there is a delay, in spite of which we try to deliver the best material And uh, people not showing up is also a big issue. They join with enthusiasm, but somewhere down the line, their enthusiasm begins to wane. So that has also been a challenge. Surprisingly, for the Braille course, you know, people, I was thinking that uh, the computer and laptop revolution would have uh, diminished the interest in Braille, but people seem to have. Taken Braille with a lot of enthusiasm, and each batch there is more than 10 people. That is one surprising thing about online.
0: If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the IWAY National Toll Free Helpline number one eight zero zero five three two zero. 5320. 469 the number is 18005320469
1: when you complete your education uh, what was the journey or what was the kind of uh, experience that you had when you were looking for a job and how did you actually land up your first job
2: actually I completed my education in 1991. At that time, I had done my MA in economics and I was like every other person trying to get a lecturer post. Right. But, you know, God plans different things for us, but that didn't take shape. So I was looking for other opportunities.
1: Yeah.
2: I had uh, got a part-time job teaching Braille and Abacus in a special education institute that's called JSS Institute. There I was Mm -hmm. teaching part-time Braille, maths, and Abacus. Right. So meanwhile, I was trying to search for jobs, but these were the pre-internet days and there was severe lack of information about where job opportunities were, and it was a struggle to find opportunities. Finally, I underwent a telephone operating course in Davar's College. Yeah. But through that, I got an opportunity to work in Bangalore Hospital. Yeah. Though it was a short stint, uh, I worked for about one and a half years. Yeah. Then I came to know about uh, the music shop, Raddle, where they make musical instruments. So they needed a person to handle sales there. Yeah. The other people could not uh, decipher music, so they couldn't answer the relevant questions of the sales, uh, of the customers. Yeah. So I thought that fit my profile better, so I switched over there. Right. Then around 1999, you must have heard of Madhu Singhala, a lady yes. approached her, saying that uh, we will teach medical transcription to the blind. Yeah. So we will open up opportunities. So I grabbed the opportunity. Computers were just being becoming accessible to the blind at that time, and Windows 98 was prevalent at that time. Yeah. So I was also keen on using computers professionally. Yeah. So I grabbed at this chance and I underwent that course. But uh, within six months, that company went bust. Right. Then I had to find another company. Uh, I joined another company called TMG. They were into television and the CIO magazine. Yeah. There also I was doing transcription. Unfortunately, even that company went bust. Right. And uh, finally... I thought I'll go back to medical transcription. And I've uh, contacted one of my mentors earlier. He was working for Accuses. Yeah. It is a medical transcription company which works from home. Yeah. So I thought this was the best way to go forward. And I contacted him, and they were also good enough to give me a chance. So for the next seven to eight years, I was working for Accuses, 2003 to. 2010
1: you mentioned uh, a little earlier when you talked about rattle that yeah. uh, you understood music and so when you say uh, you understood music did you
2: formally learn music at any point of time do you are you involved with music in any way um, actually in our school divine light school for the blind we were encouraged to sing and take part in musical activities so there i learned a bit of violin yeah so with that knowledge, I just transferred my skills into keyboard and guitar. Yeah. And I learned two years of tabla also. Yeah. I took the junior exam for the Hindustani tabla. Yeah. But I didn't take it further. Right. So all these skills I've just learned by listening and learning and playing. Yeah. And I teach guitar and keyboard for a couple. Few students. Prior to the pandemic, it was uh, good, but after the pandemic, it
1: uh, died down. So what kind of music do you actually teach? Is it it, uh, Indian music, Bollywood music, or Western music?
2: Yeah, most of them want Bollywood and Western popular music. I don't teach the classical music. Right. Just the popular songs. So whatever they want, I just teach them.
1: You 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 have a family now. You your wife and your two kids. Right. Uh, so when you got married, uh, normally uh, it's pretty difficult for a blind person to find a partner. Yeah. Uh, what's your story?
2: Uh, actually, mine was also arranged marriage. I didn't uh, intend to get married. Yeah. Because I was not uh, economically stable. Yeah. But uh, my parents they were searching. I didn't know much about it. Yeah. Then in 1996, uh, they said a girl had agreed for the proposal. So I went to Kerala. Yeah. I met her. She agreed. Thank God. Yeah. And then my problem was solved. So in April, May 1997, I got married. And uh,
1: your wife has a vision impairment as well? No, she is normal. She's she's got no disability. Yeah. And uh, is he uh, kind of involved with any kind of professional work or she's? Uh, she's supposed...
2: a teacher in a primary school. Prior to this, she was a beautician. Right. But he started getting back pain, shoulder pain, and all. Then we thought, you know, better to move into another field. Right. So she liked working with children and interacting with children. Yeah. And then I suggested maybe joining a Montessori or a primary school might be the next way forward. So we decided and she underwent that training. Now she is very happy being with kids. Let's get back to uh,
1: your uh, professional work. You teach Braille and uh, you also did mention that uh, perhaps uh, the use of Braille is on the decline given the... Uh, upsurge and uh, popularity and the movement towards digital platforms and digital tools. Right. So what do you see the future of Braille and the relevance of Braille say going forward?
2: Yeah. Thanks to the invention of Orbit Radar. Yeah. Uh, people are taking to Braille once again. The uh, earlier devices used to cost a bomb and, uh, was unaffordable to others. People, particularly in the teaching profession, are embracing Braille. And among the students that I had, there were a couple of students. One was a teacher in Kashmir. One was an IIT employee also. So they they also took up Braille. So I see a lot of promise for Braille. And of course, digital technology, everybody needs to be updated updated about it yeah so windows mac android and iphone are all tools that we can use to improve our digital awareness so you don't see you don't see
1: uh, braille kind of dying away
2: no surprisingly not because uh, thanks to orbit i think uh, more and more people will embrace braille even in the west people are focusing on literacy yeah so braille equals literacy for the blind right so but with the braille we have that ability to picture the words the sentences the spellings the current generation have an atrocious spelling ability right so if you learn braille those spellings stick in your mind that kinetic imagination comes to our mind so Whenever possible, I encourage all the blind to learn Braille. So even in the West, they are re-emphasizing students to take up Braille. So maybe through VisionAid, this will be our mission also, to reintroduce Braille to the public.
1: Reading is another passion that you have. So uh, what is the kind of books you read? Where do you get your books from? And what do you think is the importance of books in the life of a blind person?
2: Books are the portal to the world. What we can't see through our eyes, we can imagine through the writer and he has generously written and it is our duty to consume those reading material and improve ourselves. So I am a member of Bookshare and there are more than 100,000 books there. In our lifetime, we can't read all the books. Yet, we can select and read the books we want. I am mostly into nonfiction, and I read self-help books, spirituality, books relating to English language, writing, speaking, and development of all skills, and any other books that others have recommended, I do read.
1: You know, you you were talking... uh sometime back about this platform called Clubhouse. And I think you taught something on Clubhouse for some time. Yeah. Uh, so what, th- tell me a little bit about that. What What exactly did you do?
2: Yeah. So even I used to follow you and Subramani when you had your conversations. Yeah. So that was an interesting experience. So in during the pandemic, Clubhouse was a meeting point for most of us. So... For about one year, I taught spoken English. So people used to come and I used to help them with speaking, spellings, use their vocabulary. So there used to be this uh, clubhouse called Knowledge House. Yeah. So I used to be frequently visiting there and I used to support. So that way I got to know, meet uh, so many people. I got even a couple of English Students also there. Right. Small young children, they wanted to learn English. They wanted to better their language. So I taught them privately also. That, uh, was, okay. an inspe- uh, that was also an interesting experience. And uh, I really am amazed by the talent people have in clubhouse, you know. right? One early morning, I just out of curiosity, I just opened a clubhouse and people were talking in old English, you know. and it all happened impromptu
0: to support our work with the blind and visually impaired you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in please note www.scorefoundation.org.in
1: But uh, there are a number of blind people in our country and uh, they are kind of uh, marginalized for a variety of reasons. Uh, you have any thoughts in terms of how they can be uh, kind of empowered and included?
2: In my later years, I have realized that, you know, we need to stand up for them also. There yeah. are so many people who, in spite of good education, lack the opportunity Just in America itself, there is around 75% unemployed among the blind themselves in America. Right. Right. So you can just imagine how our country is faring. People have the education, but no opportunity. So that's why these days I am also taking a more proactive role and I'm trying to find opportunities. So my message to all the NGOs is to make employment a priority. Or at least we must open doors through self-employment. We must uh, open up marketing opportunities so that these people, if they produce something at home, other organizations should take up the marketing of these products and make them uh, independent. Right. Right. So even... Uh, Pope said, you know, where there is no work, there is no dignity. Justin, when exactly did you lose your eyesight and what is your eye problem? I was born with congenital blindness. Uh, I could see till the age of seven, but it was very less. Right. And we are talking about the early 70s when the technology was very poor. Yeah. I used to wear spectacles. Yeah. And those spectacles were low powered. Yeah. So for example, my eyesight was minus 16, but I was only having minus eight spectacles because they couldn't produce minus 16 spectacles at that time. Right. So because of all those things, uh, my eyesight began to deteriorate. One eye I lost when I... Poked myself accidentally pretending to be a old man. (laughs) It happened uh, during the baptism of my brother. Yeah. During his naming ceremony. Right. And another, I, I, I was playing with my friend and accidentally we collided with each other. Right. Though there was no physical injury, within half an hour I lost my remaining eyesight. Right. Then I went to Divine Light School for the blind and continued my further education.
1: When did you actually get into the mainstream? Because college education would have been mainstream, or did you get a yeah. chance to get uh, get into the mainstream a little earlier?
2: Uh, it was in the ninth standard in 1982. Right. At that time, that International Year of the Disabled had just completed, I believe. Yeah. I think it was 1979. 81. So uh, maybe somewhere. So as part of that, even uh, our school wanted to experiment with that. So I was also chosen to go to a normal school. Yeah. So I ended up joining Nehru Smaraka Vidya Kendra, NSVK. Right. It is in Jainagar. Right. uh, About three or four bus stops away from my house. Right. So, So there, to get used to the other students, it took a little time. Yeah. So, uh, there used to be a little bit of taunting, you know, people used to pull the stake,
1: yeah,
2: and I also being a small uh, a young teenager, I didn't know how to keep my anger in check, right. So there used to be those issues, right, but eventually I got uh, got to know that you know these are they they are just playing around with me, right. and I need not uh, worry too much about that, right. So eventually, I settled down, and then it was smooth sailing all the way. But what about the action in the classroom? The I used to write down everything in Braille. Okay. Those days there was no other choice except to write in Braille. Yeah. And uh, they were all small lessons, so we I coped up with that. Only uh, instead of maths and science, we had what is called as Indian history and economics. Right. So for those two additional subjects, we had to come back to. Divine Light School for the Blind for support.
1: Right, so that was probably the early days of the formal integrated or inclusive education. Right. And uh, what are your thoughts on inclusive education? Do you think it's a it's it's that's the way to go, or you think special schools should continue? Uh,
2: yeah, actually, that's the way to go because though special education schools have their place, uh, we should actively promote. Uh, inclusion in all fields of education because the blind have to know the reality yeah the world is changing very fast and we are consuming knowledge and information at in huge amounts yeah and uh, when you are stuck in an institution you know our boundary lines are drawn and we can't go further than that yeah. it becomes like a cocoon yeah and uh, and uh, recently Daisy and other forums they're trying to make candidates write exams independently you know yeah. they want to abolish the scribe mode of writing exams right so the sooner we integrate our children into the mainstream the quicker they will learn to type and be independent in all their dealings so the sooner we give them the chance the greater the success that the candidates will benefit from so uh,
1: moving into college uh, life meaning uh, you uh, you you've done a master's in economics so you spent a minimum of at least five years in the in, in the university right so what was your journey through the university like did you get support from the university or was it your peer group that supported you or did you have to go back and uh, seek support from divine light
2: no, in the One Light School, support ended with the school itself. Right. So it was my friends there in college. But uh, during MA, the it was each one to himself, you know. They right. wouldn't help each other because sort of they had their own pride to hold. Yeah. So it was very... Disappointing that in higher education, people become sort of selfish. Right. So, and uh, we had to do a lot of Uh, self-study. And there, my limitation became apparent because I couldn't read books then. Right. And uh, remember those days, there were no computer technology. Yeah. So, I managed to survive with notes and uh, help from a couple of friends. Yeah. I also had to relearn maths. There was a 100 marks paper for mathematical economics. Right. So I had last studied maths in 7th standard.
1: That must have been been a real challenge.
2: Yeah, that was a real challenge. And I remember walking every day 4-5 kilometers to a tuition class. So I had to understand all these concepts of calculus Differential equation, simultaneous equation,
1: Yeah,
2: all these were alien concepts to me, and uh, I had to really uh, use all my knowledge, but surprisingly, I got 83 marks in that paper for all my efforts. I was the sixth highest in my class, which I am proud of. So
1: how did you write your maths exam? Because, uh, you know, writing English or history is relatively easier. Yeah. But uh, how do you do your maths exam? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question.
2: Uh, I took my cousin as my scribe. Yeah. So she she had done her BSc in chemistry and maths. So okay. she knew all the symbolisms to use in a maths paper. So I just had to dictate and she... Wrote the paper.
1: Yeah, that's actually the challenge a lot of people face. You know, when you come to science and maths exams, to get the right. correct writers who right. understand the subject. It's not about them writing the paper for you, but it's about them understanding what you dictate. Exactly. Well, uh, Justin, it's been uh, wonderful speaking with you.
2: Yeah, thank you, and have a great day. Thank you. <laughs>
0: This podcast was brought to you by Score Foundation.